the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Hour number two, Bruce Hooley Show. The pictures from Ukraine continue to be just heartbreaking, despicable attack on cities shelling all throughout the night. Uh, Vladimir Putin is, um, he is uh, unrepentant in his destruction of human life. He does not care uh, who gets in his way. He is turning the cities into rubble. It is a tactic that you use when you cannot conquer a city or a city does not surrender to you once the resistance gets to a certain point you just decide okay let's just level our guns at the biggest buildings and the people in the building so be it and that is what he certainly appears to be doing with his brutal attacks on cities indiscriminate of whether women or children are inside So the Biden administration is trying to characterize Biden's leadership on this as uniting the world. Uh, That is, in my estimation, not true at all, because the sanctions that hurt Vladimir Putin the most would be blocking his banks from using the SWIFT banking system, which is a quick way for companies to be reimbursed for the goods and services, goods, goods that they export. Did we do that right up front? No, we did not do that right up front. Why did we not do that right up front? Because Germany and Italy objected to it. And then Germany and Italy watched and observed what was going on in Ukraine and said, okay, okay, let's do that. Let's block him from using the SWIFT banking system. And then the U.S. was like, okay, yes, we're announcing. So we followed. We did not lead. I'm not even going to use the euphemism Biden uses, which is lead from behind, because that's not leading. It's following. Then on oil, there was a hue and cry in America, even as gas prices were rising, that we shouldn't be purchasing the 7% of our oil supply from Russia that we typically purchase. And House Democrats, House Democrats were enacting legislation to call for a boycott of Russian oil. Joe Biden begged them not to do it. They were going to do it anyway. And so he got in front of it because he would have really looked bad if House Democrats forced him to do that. So I don't think that's leading when members of your own party have to shame you into doing what you should have done. Because if you really want to sanction the Russian economy, you do it with their number one product. Their number one product is oil. But the reason why they are portraying Biden as a leader, other than just cosmetic reasons to make him appear competent, is because there are a lot of people who voted for Joe Biden who did it because they thought he would be a better leader. They didn't like Donald Trump's leadership style was to be brusque and arrogant and off-putting. I've played you the tape before of Trump 
in Europe scolding the German chancellor at the breakfast table about not paying his fair share for NATO and for being dependent on Russian oil. Trump was right on both counts. But his manner just offended some people. Orange man bad, right? So Biden was going to govern as a centrist. Biden was going to be, remember, the the adults were back in charge. That's what the Democrats told him. The Joe Biden, old Joe, Scranton Joe, train riding Joe, Union Joe, just like you and I. He's just a really good Joe. People were tired of the drama. They wanted a drama-free president. Well, that's not what they've gotten. They've gotten a very radical president. Prices are up. He continues to spend. He's adopted all this green energy garbage. He's not been the guy he promised he would be to get elected. Had he been this radical when he ran, there's no way he would have gotten elected. And people don't like to be lied to. And so the independents are running from Joe Biden, and that's why his poll numbers are way, 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 way down. Now, he doesn't have to run for re-election again until 2024, so what's the harm? Well, the harm is the midterm elections are coming, and right now he has control of the House and he has control of the Senate. He's not going to have control of the House because the president in office always loses seats in the House. they got a five-seat margin in the House. they got 31 Democrats retiring. The Republicans are going to have the House. No question about it. What about the Senate, though? Well, the Senate's a funny body, right? You've got 100 senators, two from each state, six-year term. So the Senate election cycle is one-third of all senators run every two years. And this year, in the cycle, it just so happens that more Republicans are running than Democrats. And voting habits lately have become pretty unified. If you vote Trump for president, you're probably voting Republicans for Senate. You're probably voting Republican down the ticket. Democrats, you're voting Democrat down the ticket. It's not how it used to be. Not how it used to be. In the South, a lot of people used to vote for a Republican president. But what? The blue dog Democrats from the South, right? They'd vote Democrats for the Senate. People used to pick and choose based upon candidates, candidate personality, or they liked the idea of balancing the government with different parties being in control of the executive branch and the legislative branch. Now, uh, we vote laundry. We vote red, we vote blue. So the keys in this control of the Senate, which is 50-50 right now, but more Republicans are running for re-election than Democrats. You would think that would favor Democrats. If you're going to vote, if you're locked in on your politics, you're just going to vote for the party, and if more Republicans are up for grabs, there's a greater chance they'll lose. And the Democrats might end up with a one- or two-seat margin. Not so much. Not so much. Why? Because in the states that Biden won, where candidates are running, they're considered toss-up states. I'm talking about Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona. The states that voted for Trump in 2016 and then flipped to Biden in 2020. Those are the wild card states. Georgia's in there too. So is Arizona. What can we learn about the upcoming election from the Trump presidential phenomenon? In 2016 and in 2020, there were states that voted against Trump both times. And in those states, there are three. Democrats running for re-election in the Senate. 
Nevada, which was tight, Trump-Biden, very close, New Hampshire, and Colorado. The thought is two of those three Dems will get back in. In the states where Trump won twice, how many Democrats are vulnerable? Well, they got lucky because Sherrod Brown, if he was running for re-election right now in Ohio, he'd be in a lot of trouble. The stink of Joe Biden, the stink of gas prices, the stink of Afghanistan and the southern border and supply chain and Ukraine, all that would be on Sherrod Brown, and he'd have a hard time outrunning that. But he got lucky. He and his unruly hair got lucky. He doesn't have to run for re-election. They actually think in Ohio they can win the Senate with Tim Ryan. I think that's laughable. I don't think Tim Ryan can win the Senate in Ohio. But I do think there are certain candidates on the Republican side that Ryan has a better chance of beating than others. We won't know who that candidate is until the May primary. In the states that flipped from Trump in 2016 to Biden in 2020, and again, those states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Nevada, excuse me, Arizona, Only Michigan is not electing a senator this year. So those states that went for Trump in 2016, then went for Trump in 20, or went for Biden in 2020, those are the toss-up states. Those are the ones that are going to decide it. And the two Democrats who are most vulnerable in those states, Raphael Warnock in Georgia and Mark Kelly in Arizona. Mark Kelly's the husband of Gabby Giffords, who got shot by a crazy person at one of her rallies. Kelly, former astronaut. He got in because I think it's a sympathy vote for Gabby Giffords. Warnock got in. He played the BLM card. He played the systemic racism card. He played the pastor card. He played the MLK card, although he has none of the values of Martin Luther King when it comes to race relations. He's an extremist. Martin Luther King was not. Relative to today's terms, Martin Luther King was not an extremist. I hear some of you going, oh, he was very extreme. Well, not for now. Content of character over color of skin, that's not extreme at all. That's you and I right now. Martin Luther King, in that regard, was a man ahead of his time. So we'll see. It depends to me. It looks like what kind of candidate are you going to run in Georgia against Raphael Warnock? (laughs) A strong one, Herschel Walker, former football hero, former Georgia football hero and an African-American. Can't believe Herschel Walker won't win that. In Arizona? Mm. Martha McSally ran a while back. I haven't even looked at the Arizona race. But it's going to be tight. They're just fortunate that there aren't a lot of Democrats running for re-election. There are, because they have to, in the House, and they're all retiring because they don't want to get beat. But if Biden doesn't get the Senate, he's not going to get the House. He, we may never see him. He may do what he did during the campaign. He may stay in his White House basement all the time because we'll have no legislative power beyond the executive orders. And I would assume the Republicans will fight him at every turn on that. So Senate races are going to be crucial and the independents are going to decide it. Here is a comment from a Republican strategist on the independents and their key to the election. Joe Biden has a significant share of independents who believed he was going to be a centrist, competent president, 
And he's done a pretty good job of blowing up both of those characteristics by continually veering to the left on policy, demonstrating with the withdrawal from Afghanistan that his reputation for foreign policy expertise was a mirage. People who believe that you ran one way and then governed another are not going to be real open to coming back as long as he continues to pursue the current course. And he will. He's not going to change. You see it on his climate allegiance and the other nonsensical policies that he's embraced that have us in a horrible position as a country. I don't know how I feel about this support Mike DeWine has given to what's referred to as constitutional carry. Uh, DeWine is allowing it. You no longer have to get a permit to carry a concealed weapon 90 days from now. It takes 90 days to go into effect. Uh, This is referred to as constitutional carry because, of course, Second Amendment allows you the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, I have my CCW. I took a class. I think it was eight hours. I found the class very helpful. I didn't find it super inconvenient to take the class, uh, nor do I find it to be uh, prohibitive of a person who would want to get a license to carry. So I'm sort of inclined to say, nah, this is a bad idea. Then again, I'm a big originalist on the Constitution. And if the Founding Fathers thought that the Second Amendment was important, then I am very, very, very hesitant to criticize it and to come up with a quote-unquote better idea. Because I don't think I have many, if any, better ideas than the people who put our Constitution together. Then I see that the police groups in the state of Ohio are against this, and I understand why they're against it. Because my first thought is if everybody can carry and you don't need a class and you don't need to register your weapon, my fear is this is going to lead to uh, bad decisions, anger-provoked decisions by people who have firearms on them that if they were required to have a class, have a concealed carry license, wouldn't have them. I think this will absolutely positively increase by a lot the number of people who are carrying all the time. Because, hey, look, I understand that. We live in a much more violent culture now than we did before. I try my very, very best to stay out of areas of town where I think I might be in danger. The problem is the areas of town where I didn't used to think I was in danger, now I'm not so sure I'm not in danger. And if I'm going there with my wife, my kids, with people that I have an inherent duty to protect? Would I be more likely to carry in those situations than I was before? Yeah. And I don't have the training of a police officer. I don't have the judgment of a Nick Reardon who reacted perfectly to his training. We're not trained like police officers. We haven't faced those situations. I think generally the chances are in that situation, if you're going to pull out pull out a firearm, you pull it out because you're willing to use it. If you pull out a firearm and somebody else pulls out a firearm, now we've got a situation where two people who aren't trained have firearms trained on each other, and most of the time that's likely going to end pretty, pretty bad for somebody. So, again, that's my objection to it. But then I see, then I see, you know, I feel like I'm in good, good, good company, right, because... The police officers are against it because you don't want to walk up on a car, arrest some guy for speeding, and all of a sudden he's got a gun in his hand. So I get police officers 
trepidation over this. But then I see that the gun lobby is against it too. And then I don't want to be aligned with the gun lobby, uh, the, the anti-gun lobby. I don't want to be aligned with them. The people who would take away the Second Amendment, they're against this too. And I don't want to be on their side because I don't trust them. I don't share their view that guns are bad. It's the people who have the guns that are bad. And I think law-abiding citizens ought to be able to have guns to protect themselves. So this is a complicated issue for me. I can see situations where it's going to be necessary and will be good that somebody has a gun and they have it because they didn't want to go through all the rigmarole of getting licensed and carrying. Or they think none of the government's business, and so they're carrying. I get that. There will be instances where that will save lives. Will there be instances where lives will end because somebody had a gun that wouldn't have had a gun without this law being signed? Yeah, that's inevitable. It is inevitable. Now, from a political perspective, am I surprised Mike DeWine embraced this? No, I am not. Because, had he not embraced it, what's coming up in May? A primary. DeWine is nervous, and he has reason to be nervous about whether or not he's going to survive the primary. I think he will, but if he had vetoed this, Jim Renacci, Joe Blystone would have had a field day with this. More of Mike DeWine's nannying the state of Ohio, deciding he knows what's good for you and you don't. That's how it would have been portrayed. So I think DeWine signed it. He can say he signed it because he promised to sign the Stand Your Ground law, which he did, which no longer requires you to retreat before you shoot somebody in self-defense. I think this was, at least in part, a political decision by Mike DeWine. He really wants to be governor again. If he survives the primary, he will be governor again. He won't run as a third party if he doesn't survive the primary. Now, the other thing that I see coming out of the state house today is one where I go, don't you have other things more important than this to do? Uh, they are uh, signing a resolution. The Republicans in the Senate are signing a resolution because they are exhausted with the flipping of the clock springing forward and falling back. Uh, I don't have a strong opinion on this. My unchanging opinion on it is I hate it in the spring and I love it in the fall. Right? I hate it in the spring when we got to spring forward and I lose an hour. And I love it in the fall when we fall back. Except I don't like it getting dark at 530 then again, I don't like it being dark at 8 a.m. Being dark at 8 a.m. comes with springing forward. Being dark at 5.30 p.m. comes with falling back. We did this because of the energy crisis during the Nixon administration. It has probably outlived its usefulness, but it's annoying to me that I never know what time it is in the state of Indiana and that I rarely know what time it is in the state of Arizona, states that never switch. So if they decided not to switch it, I'd be okay with it. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.